Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Jacob with the uh, Daniel 3 podcast. Um, have an interesting episode here for you guys this time. This is an old conversation I had um, with Abby Kleckner, contributor of the Bad Ribbon Project. And uh, Chris Polk, who has his own page and podcast entitled Unbeliever. Uh, these are two friends of mine from the anarchist Christian community. And back in the early days of my page, before I really started getting into doing podcasting on, on my own, I had a conversation with uh, Abby and Chris on um, Chris's podcast. And the discussion was on pacifism, because that's a uh, very... Uh, hot topic, very, you know, divisive topic topic within the, well, both the Christian community broadly, I would say, and then even more so in the Christian libertarian and Christian anarchist circles. So, and I felt like I had a nuanced perspective to bring to it because I feel like pacifism often gets uh, a bad rap. And in a lot of ways, I consider myself somewhat of a pacifist, although it just depends on how strict one thinks that that term needs to be applied would determine exactly where uh, or exactly whether or not that label is applicable. Um, so we get into a lot of the, uh, the nuances of pacifism, both from a kind of a logical analysis and from a scriptural analysis. In the, and it was a very good, very productive conversation. Um, you know, I, I, um, this was over, you know, I mean, this was back in the lockdowns of 
2020. Um, and I, I won't say that my views are exactly the same now as they were back then. You know, I think our views, um, you know, as they should always, they, they always are changing and always are developing. In general, though, I think I pretty much have the same perspective I did back when I uh, recorded this. Uh, but I did want to, you know, first introduce it to set the stage. Um, second, just a, a warning that the audio is not of the, the highest quality, especially on my end, because I was using a potato for a mic, unfortunately. Um, but did my best to edit it and make it as presentable as possible. Um, third, I just wanted to, you know, the the... The summary of my views, you know, in case that's really, you know, all you you don't want to listen to the entire debate because it does it does go on for a little bit and um, it, it wasn't even so much a debate I shouldn't even say it was it was framed that way it was uh, advertised that way but um, you know actually it became more of a a good faith good hearted discussion I think which is which is excellent a summary though of what my views would be regarding pacifism is that I find pacifism to be the general principle that the Christian is taught in the New Testament by Christ, in a sense that nonviolence and uh, the refusal to use force, especially the initiation of force, is paramount to walking a life that reflects Christ. Uh, Jesus didn't come and wield the sword against anyone, and I think insofar as it depends on us, we should seek to live at peace, live, live at peace with all of our fellow men. Um, I don't think, though, that pacifism means to be passive. <laughs> I think that, that there, there's a confusion there. The, the root of pacifism isn't passiveness, but to pacify, uh, which means to be a peacemaker. I do think that pacifism is a goal that we should strive towards. And what I talk about a lot in this podcast is that prevention is better than cure. Uh, I think there are a lot of situations in life that come up that there are no non-violent, non-forceful means of rectifying. But the goal should be to promote values and to promote a sort of standard of living, uh, to promote a social cooperation that leads to a type of society in which measures are taken to prevent situations from spiraling into the sorts of messes where force is necessary. I do not find myself compelled to criticize or to be against the use of force when situations go awry, but it's a matter of what we wish to promote. Pacifism is what I wish to promote. I am not going to demonize or attack people who use defensive force because I think that situations arise where defensive force is needed but a good analogy that comes up in the debate a lot is kind of like cancer and cancer is not easy to cure if it can be cured and sometimes the best you can do is just treat it but if it can be cured or it can be treated the means of which you cure or treat it are often uh, very harmful to your body and they are very aggressive it is much better to if you can, at all possible, prevent cancer from arising in the first place than it is to uh, simply go, oh, well, if I get cancer, I'll just treat it. That's how I view pacifism and, and defensive or restitutional force. 
when it comes down to it, defensive and restitutional force, I think, are also uh, authorized in the Bible in certain passages that you guys have probably heard me talk about a lot. I think that God is for peace and order, and that means that when evil happens, when violations of rights happen, that there are those who are supposed to rectify these situations. But we shouldn't be content to just allow these allow evil to uh, to be promoted. And what I mean by that is that what we should be striving towards, I would say, uh, is again like the idea of you know you want to prevent cancer, and in the same way we should be trying to prevent situations from escalating to a degree where violence is necessary insofar as we are capable of doing it through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, there's no perfect uh, way to go about this, and best efforts will fail. So your mileage will vary, of course. But this doesn't mean, that just because, uh, like, a good comparison, I think, would be we oppose murder. But it isn't just through the opposition of murder that, you know, suddenly murder will disappear overnight. Right? So, we can oppose something, we promote the ideal, we recognize that we'll fall short of that ideal. And when we fall short, we have to, you know, you do your best to prevent messes from happening, but when messes happen, they need cleaned up. But just because messes happen doesn't mean you just, you know, say, ah, to heck with it all, just stop trying to prevent messes. No. You do your best to prevent when those efforts fail, you come up with the best solution you can possibly come to. And there are a lot of ways where even when force has to be used that we can uh, the free market, I think, can come up with innovative ways to come up with uh, restitutional mechanisms of force that don't require on lethal force. So it's always about, it's about preferences, right? It's about uh, you know, a peaceful solution is always preferable to a solution that requires the use of force. Once you've gone beyond that any in the in the categories of solutions that require the use of force, force that is non-lethal is preferable to lethal force. So it's always about you know making these calculations ahead of time and making your best preparations and then letting the chips fall where they may. Um, I don't think that the, a failure to perfectly live up to pacifism is a sin or a a major moral failing. But I do think there's a slippery slope in terms of, you know, if you say, well, pacifism is impossible, that you give up trying to achieve it. So that's, that's the tension that's at play here. That's what we talk about a lot in the conversation. Um, but uh, go ahead, give it a listen to it. I think that you'll find the conversation edifying, intriguing. And, uh, uh, of course, um, you know, go check out. Uh, you can see Abby as a regular contributor on the Bad Roman Project and also check out Chris Polk on Unbeliever. Um, both produce great content. Uh, so with that, here is my conversation with the two of them. And thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe. All right, we are live. Welcome, everybody, to our discussion on pacifism. I am Chris Polk. I'm joined by Abby Kleckner and Jacob Daniel from... Daniel 3, Obeying God Over the State. And this was kind of Jacob's idea, so if it all goes bad, we'll blame him. Um, I got pulled into this, I think, by Craig to say, you know, maybe I should just, because I don't really, I can't really, 
on this in the affirmative or the negative. So I'm kind of interested to see how you guys go back and forth and maybe sprinkle a little of my own um, thoughts in there. So, um, so where do we want to start? Do we want to start by, cause I think we might need to define pacifism. Yes. Yep. But let's, let's start there because I'm, I'm sure that word's going to have 17 different meanings to 17 different people. So Jacob, why don't you start there and try to give us a definition? Sure. So pacifism is probably something that it would be better to describe. It's a philosophy of sorts, and there's probably different levels and types of pacifism, just like, you know, we're anarchists, and we are probably all familiar that there's different flavors and types of anarchists. But the, uh, the general guiding principle of pacifism, I would say, is just that it's a philosophy of, of uh, nonviolence, and you believe that it is immoral to, to use any, you know, type of violence or force against anyone in any situation, you know, that, that would be kind of the, the non-textbook amateur hour definition I would give off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's different variants and, you know, part of, I, I'm glad you suggested defining it from the get-go because I wanted to do that. And also I wanted to make sure I asked Abby kind of what pacifism means specifically to her because I don't want to just be debating a straw man of her positions. Yeah, so I would agree with that definition. And I would say um, I've only arrived at full pacifism in the last three years or so um, of being like, yeah, even self-defense. Is... You have your black belt of pacifism? <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. It's taken many years of training, but I've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah, getting to, across Kind of, I because I think that's the last big hump of like even like self defense and defense of like your kids and like a personal situation. I would say I don't know if we want to get into that yet, but um, I'm not super uh, into condemning people really for anything. But it's like if you do use violence in those situations, I get it. I sympathize. Um, I just think that we should be trying to get to a better place where we have better solutions. So yeah, I mean, so we kind of agree on the, the general definition of what pacifism is. Um, I, guess, I guess the only other thing I thought that would be prudent to do before we get into the, the, the back and forth would be, you know, to ask you some questions just to kind of get, you know, because again, like I want to make sure I'm not uh, just kind of, um, I don't know if you remember that, like Jordan Peterson and uh, yeah. that person debate, you know, like, so what you're saying is, so I want to avoid that. I don't want to right. be like, you know, getting into like spending the first 30 minutes just kind of going, oh no, I don't believe that at all. So we should just make sure that we know what each other believes. Cause like you said, when we were talking and setting this up um, to a lot of people, you know, my, my beliefs would even be called pacifism. Right. Um, so, uh, but so would you say, like from the Christian worldview, like adding like the Christian worldview into the say that it is sinful to use any type of defensive force, or would you say that it's just not preferable and that you bring more glory to God or you, you are honoring the teachings of Jesus more consistently when you uh, voluntarily choose to abstain from using defensive force? Yeah, I would say the second, but I think I would say that about anything. 
like I'm not I'm I'm very much on like everything's permissible but not everything's beneficial okay. um, I don't think there's like black and white rules for anything really but you have to see in every situation what is the most honoring to and the most loving choice to make so okay that's, is that's there fair. is there a subjective um perspective here where this discussion is quite different in the United States than it is in a third world country that's ravaged by war, you know, because the, the statistical probability of somebody breaking in my house is so infinitely low um, that, you know, I, I travel for a living. And, and so I'm in all these different States and um, you know, I lock my doors at night, but I, you know, I never lay down in the sleeper of my truck and think, I hope nobody breaks in my truck in the middle of the night, you know? So that is one consideration that I think has to be at least addressed when you have different societies and different levels of basic peace. I mean, even in all the chaos and turmoil that's going on in the world right now, um, we still have about 95% peace, you know? So Mm -hmm. I, I think that, that, blurs the lines and clouds the water just a little bit uh, in this discussion because, you know, if I got bombs dropping around me, I got, I got the chance of, of soldiers going to blow the door. It's a whole lot different for a crackhead trying to come take my TV and a soldier about to kick, kick my door down and shoot me or kidnap my kids or, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. That's fair. And, and I, and I, I guess, where the, if, if I were to, to venture a guess as to where Abby and other pacifists and maybe specifically Christian pacifists are worried, like they're not maybe so much, like, like you might make a differentiation between me saying I want to defend my family and the United States military committing genocide in Yemen. Uh, but what you might say is your concern is that, you know, kind of the, the, the slippery slope argument that uh, you don't get to genocide in Yemen overnight, there's a series of compromises of, you know, this type of force is okay, and then this type of force is okay. And you're wanting to be as consistent as possible with what is ethical and when force is permissible, so that you're not setting up kind of like these precedents that will later be abused by people to, you know, commit, you know, these, like you're talking about, Chris, the, the really blatant forms of violence that, you know, we all agree are um, unethical and, and inconsistent with the, uh, Christian worldview. Yeah, I think that's, uh, definitely true. And also, I would say not even just the slippery slope argument, but I, I feel like if you can come to a peaceful solution in any situation, that's more beneficial. Um, even just one-on-one or defending your family, um, which honestly, I think everybody agrees on that, like, yeah, if it's possible, let's have a peaceful solution where nobody gets hurt. Um, but it's just degrees to to whether we believe that's possible or not. Sure, and and I agree with that sentiment um, on its face. But I do think that we have to be careful when we're talking about peace being a virtue because uh, there are certainly, and I, I think you would agree with this, that there are certainly situations that exist in the world, relationships and uh, maybe socioeconomic climates where things are tranquil and peaceful, 
but but there is a um, a presence of major injustice and major immoralities being um, uh, being committed. Like you know, a, a wife might be in an abusive relationship and being peaceful, but you know, the peace in that sense might not be the most virtuous uh, situation. Um, or like you know, the a, a submissive slave, so to speak. Um, that's not exactly something where we're going, yeah, good, no, you're not resisting your, your uh, slave master and that's what we want from you. And it's like, th there's a little bit of a, you know, a discernment there that that would be my only slight pushback against that. Yeah, for sure. And like, I liked that you used that word, uh, tranquil. Like, I definitely think there's a difference between things being tranquil, tranquil and things being peaceful. If somebody is being oppressed, that's not peace. Right, so you would want like no violence involved. So th there's peace where there's like tranquility, and that might be good, but isn't always. But then there's like a peace that's like a like a harmony between people, and that would be the type of peace that we're shooting for. Where yeah, yeah. So and, and I would agree with that. You know, insofar, and that's what the Bible says. I think you know, insofar as it depends on you, be it you know peace and harmony with mm -hmm. with everyone around you. And you know, I certainly agree with that. I'm not someone who thinks that violence is a you know, a good way to solve problems. I think that, you know, and even as we get into this, you know, in the situations where I think that it's okay to use defensive force, it's not that I think that the outcome from using that defensive force or defensive violence is like a good, but it's like comparatively, this is less bad than the alternatives I was faced with. Um, so I do want to make that distinction. I'm not trying to take the position of violence leads to, uh, like good things happening. Um, but rather that like sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're weighing the options, it's like, well, I'm, I'm faced with one crap option and one really, really bad option. And, you know, that's what, you know, you're just trying to, to minimize the amount of evil done. Um, so. so how about, you know, one, one, one thing I think to consider here is a fist is a weapon, you know, mm -hmm. it's force, right? A knife is a force multiplier. A baseball bat is a force multiplier. A gun is a force multiplier. And I think I came to the realization that if I was here in the house and I caught someone coming in, um, you know, and I have to assume their intentions to do harm, um, that I would in some way repel that invasion, okay? Um, whether or not I use a force multiplier um, to either match an equal uh, multiplier, um, that's one thing, you know, to, to repel an invasion, to address a direct threat versus they get in and they leave. And then I go bomb their neighborhood and kill everybody there, you know, and that feels like when we, when we get to talking about pacifism and foreign policy, that's pretty much what we have. We can use something like Pearl Harbor or nine 11 the real stories aside, just, you know, what they well, are. and that's, that's a very you important know. point, Chris, because, um, 
and I'm sure we'll get into this again later, but like one of the, the passages we're probably going to bring up at some point is where Jesus talks about, you've heard it said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then he brings a, a alternative perspective to that. Um, but to, to go just to focus on the eye for, for an eye part, that was a positive step forward from what a lot of human civilization and what kind of our base human nature uh, is and was. Because a lot of times people are so vengeful that they're not looking to just get justice, they're not looking to just restore what was lost. They're like, oh, well, you, you took, you know, this much from me. I'm going to take this much from you and ruin your life. And, you know, what I mean, like, so they go above and beyond their, their response. And so it was like, you know, uh, God kind of had to take that, you know, the, the people coming out of Egypt who had been, you know, a few generations into slavery and they had a lot of, of ungodliness in them. He had to kind of, you know, that first step was, listen, like, you know, in terms of justice and, and civil law, you can only go as far as what is reciprocal to the uh, offense that was directed at you. You can't go above and beyond. And so that is an important concept that, that is in the Bible and, and that is uh, certainly something we need to be mindful of. Yeah. Well, and on that, on that point, you know, I, I have to now, because I was exposed to the principle, I have to examine the scripture with history, context, and audience, you know? And so when Jesus is, is talking to them and says, well, you've heard it said, you know, so he's talking about the old covenant, but I, but now I say, but now I tell you, he's giving them a new way to really to view God as the father because the old covenant sounds like us, you know, our vengeance, our, um, our anger, all of our negative emotions are wrapped up in the old. And then Jesus comes in and starts talking about loving your neighbor. And this is something these people have never, they're not about loving their neighbor. You know, they're, they're about, you know, we're, we're our, our, we're our group and we're going to protect our group. And Sorry, I'll let you finish. I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, well, I just, you know, I, you know, we have to take the scripture in context. And uh, one of my favorite teachers is a guy named Jamie Englehart, and he said, "There's one interpretation of the Bible, and that one interpretation is the people that were there at the time." You know. Um, what did it mean to them? And then once I understand what it meant to them, then I can understand what it means for me, but I have to start there first. I have to, I have to think about what was happening at the time. What were the customs and, and, and the things that they were dealing with and how would they have responded to those words? And then I can say, okay, well, now that I understand how he meant it to them, I can understand how it means to me. You know, because we always drive off in the ditch of Romans 13 without ever going to Romans 12. You know, someone, someone said one time, well, how do I interpret Romans 13? I'm like, start by reading 1 through 12. Start there. You know, go, go from 1 through 12 and then go to 13 and look for the full picture instead of just your old McDonald theology. Here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse first, and I'm just going to grab one and run with it. Well, you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, 
and I, I'm not trying to take away from what Jesus said that it wasn't important and novel, but you know, the idea of loving your enemy was not something that only exists in the New Testament. It was in the Old Testament, loving your neighbor and and you know, like this is some stuff I shared in the group chat before we did this, but like Proverbs 25, 21, if your enemies are hungry, give them bread to eat. And if they are thirsty, give them water to drink. Uh, Exodus 23, four through five, when you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey, you're supposed to return it. Uh, if you, uh, or if it's like, you know, caught somewhere, help set it free. Uh, Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger resides uh, with you shall be to you as the native among you. Um, so, you know, there is a lot in the Old Testament. And I think the problem was what Jesus had, why he had to correct people was because, and the whole Sermon of the Mount, I think, was this, was that people had this heart of, like, the law tells me how bad I can be. Yeah. And, and I think what Jesus was trying to tell people was, don't seek to be as bad as you think that I allow you to be, because that just misses the entire you know, point and the, the nature of God and the point of the law, um, what you should seek to do is to be as virtuous as possible. Um, yeah, and I so that was that an important correction. Really to the heart of this discussion, because it can get into so, so much into like, well, what if I only the lab? And it's kind of like, yeah, don't think of it in terms of like how close to violence can I get with it still being okay? It's about changing your perspective of not dehumanizing anybody, but seeing even the person who is trying to hurt you as a human being and trying to kind of reframe your mindset of what can I do to make this situation um, or planning for the future? What can I do to make future situations work out to be peaceful and healing even for my enemies, uh, rather than increasing the violence. Sure, sure. And, you know, what, one thing, an important caveat to bring up is that prevention is always better than cure. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a really cool saying that I, I like to bring up because um, when you get to the point where, you know, let's say there was a situation where you feel like you have to use violence, you know, like I said before, I don't think the outcome is going to be good no matter what whether you decide to use defensive force or not. If, if a good outcome comes from these types of situations, it's by the grace of God. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times these altercations people get into, you know, sometimes there is no good solution to that problem, but what you have to look at is, was this preventable? Were there steps along the way leading up to this altercation that you could have made different decisions that would have let, that would have prevented these things from happening in the first place. And so, and so, yeah, like I agree, you know, you know, my arguments against pacifism aren't really, I mean, I'm not even someone who identifies as like anti-pacifist. I really am not like seeking to justify violence as if like that's in my heart and I'm trying to hold on to it. I mm -hmm. guess, I guess like more my, my pushback is kind of more where rubber hits the road um, because, you know, I have, you know, I have seen many situations in, in my life, uh, 28 years, where I go, yeah, I don't know how I, if I was in this person's position, how I would not use some type of defensive force. And one thing we might want to get into is what defines violence, because 
the way I've conceptualized defensive force is that it's kind of separate from violence. To me, violence is sort of like initiating aggression against someone. And self-defense is more of a, um, I'm going to use minimal up to reciprocal force necessary to remove or negate the violence that is being initiated against me, you know, to, to you know, sort of, not, and I don't view that as fighting evil with evil. I use it as like, you know, trying to, uh, to, you know, restore yourself back to a position before the evil fell upon you. So, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? What do you think uh, violence means in, in, in these contexts? Yeah, that's something where I feel like I don't have all the answers and I feel like every situation needs like a nuanced perspective. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not here to like condemn anyone's actions when they were like in fear of their life or in fear of their loved one's life or something like that. Um, I just think, I guess working toward finding better and better solutions. And if some, if anyone was hurt in that situation, coming at that with like a more mournful perspective, like viewing it as a tragedy rather than, like I think especially um, a lot of anarchists coming from kind of a more Republican-y background, um, it's like very much this culture of like, yeah, if someone sets foot on my property, I'm gonna blow their brains off and <laughs> hooray for you for defending your family and all that it's, kind it's of- worse, It's worse than that. I've met people who actually want someone to break into their property. Oh, they're yeah. like, they're like, I hope someone does. And I'm like, yeah. why, why would you, I'm like, why would you even say that? Like, that's just such a, like, you know, A, why would you want a threat to come into your home? And B, why would you be relishing in the idea of killing a threat? Like, that's just, that, that is totally foreign to me. And, yeah. and I agree, like that, that definitely is a problem. And, um, yeah. and I you know. And I think that's really common and especially like, um, a lot of us kind of came from that background and it's kind of hard to like see your way out of that completely. Um, and, and I think libertarians, non-Christian libertarians in general are very much like in favor of self-defense and like you have to defend yourself. Um, so I think we have kind of a lot of that baggage that we bring with us. Um, and I, yeah, so I think it's, it's not so much about, like I can't say this, this equals violence, this doesn't equal violence, but again, that, that mind sh mindset shift of, like, not rejoicing in these situations, but, like, viewing them as a tragedy and trying to come up with better solutions, um, and I, I think that's what's good for, like, the people who are in those situations, um, who maybe ended up, you know, actually, maybe saving lives, maybe defending someone, saving someone, um, but they had to use uh, either lethal force or some something like that is a trauma for that person. And I think when, when we come at it with only cheering them on and like, yeah, you saved lives, good for you, you should be so happy about that. I think it kind of creates a turmoil within them that we're not acknowledging of like, no, this was a tragedy and it was horrible that you had to do that. and let's kind of work together as human beings to find better solutions so it never comes to that. Um, I would say like 
practical solutions. I mean, I, I, don't, I wouldn't view like restraining someone as violence or even maybe pushing them off of you. Um, but beyond that, like it's, it, every situation takes nuance. And I think all we can ask for is like, let's get to better, more peaceful solutions where that are actually healing for both the attacker and the person being attacked. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with a lot of that. And, you know, like, like one of the things I'm working towards in my own life and my own family is it's like, you know, when I was young, it was like, okay, I have a firearm. If someone breaks into my house, I feel a little bit safer than I did before. Then if you have kids, you start to think, well, you know, I don't really relish the idea of having to go down my stairs in the dark and face an intruder. And then you know, what can I do to prevent the intruder from getting into my house in the first place? So then you talk about coming, you know, securing your doors better, better locks, securing your windows, maybe, you know, investing in a security system, uh, you know, like, like uh, alarms and security cameras. Um, you know, and, and I've heard some people complain, like, well, that stuff's expensive. And I'm like, you know, yeah. And how many guns do you own? Like 10 or 20? Like, how much did that cost? Like, you know, it's like, yeah, sure, that stuff can cost money. Um, but you know, so do firearms. Now I, I get it. It's like you can have one firearm and that's maybe a lot cheaper than a like fully equipped security system and, and putting all that stuff on your house. And I, I'm not judging someone who maybe is in a economic situation where that's tough for them. Um, but, but I think, you know, that is what our mindset should be. You know, it should be like, you know, I'm trying to prevent these situations from ever arising. Uh, yeah. rather than relishing the opportunity to like, you know, because if, if that's where your heart is, then I think you're wrong. If your heart is, I'm, I'm relishing the opportunity to use defensive force, you know, from a Christian perspective, because like from a secular ethics perspective of just like libertarian civil law, I can't really condemn that, so to speak. But from a Christian perspective, I don't think that's a, like, I don't think that heart is compatible with the heart of Christ, and and that is something I would I would not support. So yeah. the the dictionary definition of the word violence is behavior involving physical force intended to hurt, damage, or kill someone or something. You know, so intention is a big part of this. You know, now I have two boys in this house: a five year old and eleven year old. And the five year old is beginning to understand that he can you know, come running at 27 miles an hour and jump, you know, and, and he has inadvertently hurt his older brother a time or two. And I've had to set him down and say, listen, there's going to come a day when he is going to knock the hell out of you. <laughs> and when he does, I'm probably going to say you had it coming. You know, you, you pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And I've told you, you know, keep your hands to yourself. I've, I've told, I have given you instruction and someday <laughs> he's probably going to knock the crap out of you. And, you know, so, cause I'm thinking, you know, what is it for every, uh, action? There's a equal and opposite reaction, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, we, especially in America and unfortunately, especially as Christians, our default is, Oh, what's evil. It's just evil. If someone 
does something that harms another person, well, it had, well, the devil made him do it. Had to be, they got their demon possessed. They, you know, uh, when you pray that demon off of, and I'm like, okay, but we have to understand that hurting people hurt people. Yeah. So when I see, especially for some reason over the last couple of weeks, it's really, um, the stuff about pedophiles and, you know, and, and we ought to string them up and burn them and, and beat them. And, and I'm like, y'all listen, normal people don't engage in that kind of behavior. They just don't, you know, um, I'm not going to excuse their behavior and there's consequences for their behavior, but I can't let my default be ignore a victim that is creating more victims because this is the guy, the, the initial victim is the guy that Jesus would have gone to. And like you said before, fix the problem, you know, yes, protect the children, absolutely protect the children, but we'll use a word like predator so easily. Oh, they're predators and we got to get them and shoot them and kill them and beat them and burn them. But Christ would have not Christ would have protected the children. Absolutely. But our default button being, Oh, well, there is a, there is someone with a mental illness. There's someone with a predilection um, of a sexual nature toward children. So no questions asked, just kill them, you know? And I think that's where this pacifism is more less about, uh, allowing for certain kinds of violence and it's more in the Christian, uh, the Jesus view and more about loving people where they are. The guy that goes to break in to the, uh, or goes to rob the, 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 the gas station, you can go ahead and assign to him or her, well, he's just too lazy to work, so he's going to go rob the gas station. That's probably a couple of those. But there are people in dire situations, maybe of their own doing, you know, they, they, they probably engage in some sort of stupid behavior that got them there, okay? But if they just want the money, you can get more money. You got insurance. That's what it's for. You know, so when I, when I hear a, a pacifist discussion and say, well, if it's, you know, if it's the TV, they want, just give them the TV. Well, I work for that TV. That TV's mine. You get insurance, you know, get insurance, go get you another TV, go get you another car, go get you $500, whatever it is. Or, or, or if it's a really big deal, like, you know, let's say they take your car or something, you know, that, that's something that you need to live something that's very valuable uh, you know, there are legal recourses that you can take that don't involve like just showing up to that person's house with a gun to take your car right. or TV back. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's Absolutely. just not a, that's not a very, that's not going to help the situation at all. Um, you know, I would say, yeah, insurance might be a, a last resort if you try going through some kind of legal recourse. Uh, and, and by legal recourse, I'm not, again, to, to just to, I'm not saying it doesn't have to be from the state. You know, you can have private court systems and all that. So right. I don't want all the I don't want all the anarchists going. He said court legal system. <laughs> ah! No, like like I'm so so I just need to make that caveat. Um, so yeah, you know, this is a really uh, there's so many things I could say to what you just said. Um, 
I guess where I would go. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was thinking along the same lines when you were talking earlier, um, that it really is, it's about being more proactive than reactive. And like you said, I can get better locks, I can lock my windows, I can get a security system. Um, I think even beyond that, the, the same way that we would look to end the violence of the state is the same way that we would look to end the violence of just regular people, which is pouring yes. into our community, yes. serving each other. Like, you know- How we raise our kids. Yeah, the way we raise our kids and, <laughs> and volunteering huge. with other kids in the community so that they have strong adults. Because like, what's, what's better? Like, I mean, let's say for argument's sake that there was a pedophile kidnapped a child and to rescue that child, you had to use some kind of force and, and, and you killed the pedophile. And let's just say like, for argument's sake, there was no other way to save that child and we feel bad about it, but we had to use force. Well, what would be better comparatively? Like, is that the best case scenario for how we deal with pedophiles? Or, like I said earlier, what about prevention? What about, like, how did the pedophile become a pedophile? Because, like, I mean, unless someone can show me some kind of, you know, genetic marker that makes someone a pedophile, like, which, you know, that doesn't exist, you know, that that person uh, came to that behavior now, now, listen, I'm not trying to say they're not responsible for their actions, but again, it's like no one just, uh, no, no one does these things without other influences. And, and a lot of these evil, um, you know, if, if you're going to take the stance that maybe, you know, because I know there's varying views on human depravity and how, how much our sinful nature affects us. But if we were, if we were going to, again, for argument's sake, take the, the worst version that like humans are born and without any social conditioning, we would just be rapists and murderers. Like, let's just, for arguments, I don't, I don't believe that, but let's just take that, that stance. Um, well, obviously not everyone's rapists and murderers because they get brought up by, you know, good parenting and there's a culture around them that discourages those things. And when, when people fall through the cracks and become pedophiles, rapists and murderers, you know, there's, there's gotta be things in their upbringing that led to them not being conditioned to behave in the ways that everyone else did. So we should be looking to prevent these things rather than just focusing on what we do once it happens. It's kind of like cancer. Um, you know, chemotherapy is like a poison. Like, you know, if you got cancer and you're on chemo and radiation, like you're, you're, you, you feel like hell more from the treatment sometimes than the cancer. But it's just like, you've hit that point where the only thing you can do is like, that's, those are the only options on the table for treating cancer. I mean, some cancers you can treat with diet, but it just depends on what we're talking about. Um, but what's better than treating an illness once it's presented is preventing it from happening in the first place. And, 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 and yeah, like that's, that, that would be our response to, you know, what you brought up, Chris, like that was like where I was going and, and Abby went the same direction is just like, yeah, we, we should not just be sitting here relishing the, the opportunity to go around and shoot evil people. We should be, you know, primarily talking about how we can advance society, raise our kids to, to have the values that we believe are important. And, and yeah, like for the people that were raised in bad situations and that are out there hurting people, we, we need to have some kind of, you know, legal system, you know, preferably not the state, preferably something through the market. Um, I know, Abby, you're big into like Austrian economics, so am I, and I'm sure you've looked into private law and all that. Um, so yeah, like, you know, I prefer there to be market solutions for how to handle 
criminal activity and those should be employing the least amount of force possible. You know, that is to me what the ideal thing is. And this whole, like, you and I aren't really finding a whole lot to, to disagree on. And this is why I wanted to start out by asking, you know, what kind of pacifist you are, because some pacifists that I talk to, both on the Christian anarchist pages we're on and, and elsewhere, have more, you know, more strict views that are just like, oh, well, if you were even to, like, forcefully incarcerate someone who's doing harm, that's, you know, not in line with true with true pacifism. So it's just like, you know, because I do feel like as long as we're here on Earth and there are going to be, you know, human beings that behave in harmful ways, we need to have some kind of response to, like, deal with the people doing harm. But I don't think the solution is to just, you know, everyone goes around with their AR-15s, you know, pointed at each other all the time. That's 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 not helpful. Right. Well, I think, there, I think there's an issue of eschatology here because I think there are people who will take a position like this and have to go to an extreme because they're still trying to keep up with the law. They're still mm -hmm. trying to check off all the boxes and say, Oh, well, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm on a constant battle here to maintain my righteousness and I'm going, no, Jesus took care of that. Your, your righteousness is done. It's finished. You're, you're good. You're covered. Um, so I don't, I don't even really, as I talk about pacifism, violence, nonviolence, I'm not looking at this as something that's going to um, earn me brownie points in heaven, uh, have something to do with myself, you know, my salvation, eternity, eternal security, because I know that if I do step over that line and I kill someone accidentally or on purpose, I, I am... I am still covered by that sacrifice. So um, there again, I don't have to say, Oh, Hey man, I'm good. I'm just going to, I'm going to kill everybody. You know, <laughs> because somebody said grace of God a minute ago. And I just made this note. The grace of God is us. It comes from us. We are the conduit of that grace. Yes. So if we won't give ourselves that grace, then we don't have anything to extend to the pedophile, the drug addict, the, the whatever, the whatever person engaged in the destructive behavior, whether they're destroying themselves or they're destroying someone else. If I don't have the grace in me, then I cannot extend that to them. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, insofar as someone who professes Christ makes excuses for like, you know, well, I'm saved so I can go do whatever. I, I would question that person's understanding and actual, you know, connection and relationship to Christ. Because not to say that they, you know, I'm not talking about salvation. It might be they're very young, very immature in their walk with Christ. And they need to be, you know, not attacked, but, that, you know, someone, a pastor or, you know, someone at their church, a family member or friend should come alongside them and and, you know, provide some gentle correction. But yeah, I, yeah, like, like we talked about earlier, like, you know, the whole, the Sermon on the Mount is one of my favorite passages because it just shows that God's heart is not, you know, yes, there is grace, but the grace is there to allow you to operate, to be as good as you can be. And that's kind of a response to the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus transforms us. The Holy Spirit transforms us to where we want to do good. And we try to do as good as possible, not just, you know, look at, 
where the line is and, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, like a dog on a leash, like pushing, pulling to the, the maximum amount the leash is allowed. We're, we're called to walk side by side with Christ, not to be pulling as hard as we can in the opposite direction. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's what it is, is um, in every situation we need to look for, how are we bringing the kingdom into this situation? Like Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be given to you also. So I think when we're looking at self-defense, it's like, how am I bringing the kingdom into this situation? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I definitely agree that, you know, I like, I, I believe that pacifism should be, and I think it often is for people, it should be the societal preference because yeah. like you don't want the opposite like you don't want you can't universalize responding violently to offenses because you just you know that does lead you to the whole like what an eye for an eye leads makes everyone blind you know it's like mm -hmm. you know like you know that kind of system doesn't work you do want pacifism to kind of be the what your preference is towards my only pushback against it is some people who take i guess a more very uh, trying to come up with the right word, uh, a very like ideologically possessed position to where they would, they would be condemning people who act defensively in certain situations um, and kind of going off of things Jesus said um, in certain verses that I think show a preference towards pacifism, obviously, but that aren't like actual commands. Like there is nowhere actually where Jesus, I think explicitly says self-defense is immoral never ever ever defend yourself from you know like you know what i mean and like you know and that might be a some people might say that's a cop out because there's a lot of things jesus doesn't explicitly say but i'm just saying like without that explicit command i'm going to say yeah there's definitely a, a, a you know we want to lean and prefer peaceful solutions and that should be our heart um you know i do think there are maybe they're not very common in terms of the grand scheme of things like not every person will live their life and have something like this happen to them but mm -hmm. you know there are people that that do end up in either really abusive relationships or uh you know like i have family members who are women who have been sexually assaulted and you know it's like i've, I've asked some pat not abby but i've asked other pacifists before i'm like you know what do you tell a woman who is being like you know kidnapped and and you know by by a sexual predator and like you know like what is she allowed to do and it's just like you know my heart in that like like my heart in that moment is not kill the person that kidnapped her it's just like i want to save that person who's being attacked and yeah. if if i'm in a situation where like you know i i have to at least use some force whether it's grabbing or pushing or you know and to, to save that person i'm going to do it um, but you know, if, if the guy's bigger than me and I can't fight him off, or if it's a woman trying to protect herself and, and she's not physically capable of, uh, warding off her attacker, but she has some kind of weapon, whether it be pepper spray or a knife or a gun, um, you know, I, I I'm not going to sit there and either preemptively or, uh, after the fact condemn her for using force to ward off an attacker. Cause I, I don't, I don't see that in the teachings of Jesus. I don't see a condemnation of people who are resisting like an actual attack of evil on them. You know, it's one thing like the, the turn your cheek thing is like, well, yeah, like if someone just slaps you and you can walk away from it, walk away from it. Like your life's not in danger. If someone insults you or pushes you at the bar, 
just walk it off. You might be angry, but to, to, to strike back in that moment, I do think is going against what Jesus taught. And I think well, that's one, a sinful behavior. But, but that's different than your life or your wife's life or your daughter's life or your son's life or your neighbor's life is in actual physical danger. I think there's a, a difference between those two. Well, there's, there's also something to be considered that there are at least anecdotal evidence that in the case of abusive relationships, that people have tried to get in between the abuser and the victim and ended up getting shot or killed. If, if you have, uh, you have an abuser and you victim, well, because of the, the complicated nature of that relationship, you try to get in the middle of that, you can end up being harmed yourself by the victim. I mean, there's been people that have been injured and killed by the victim of domestic violence because you, you know, you, you have, sometimes you have to let people work it out on their own, you know, and we, of course, it starts with, with our children, you know, teaching my daughter now, don't ever accept that kind of behavior. Um, and then, you know, but if she ends up in it somehow, I've got to figure out how to come beside her without getting in the middle. And because it's really not my place to interfere that, that way and say, okay, well, I'm, I'll, you're, you're a victim of domestic violence. I'm going to kidnap you. Now you're not being abused anymore. You know, I, to, I think know, it to really depends to, on what we're talking about. I mean, Again, I'm going off personal anecdotes, but I have a family member, I'm not going to name their relationship with me or their names, obviously, who was tied up and uh, prostituted out against her will uh, when in her marriage by her husband. Um, you know, if I had knowledge of that going on, like that was like actively happening, especially, um, yeah, I'm probably showing up and putting an end to it. I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> like, I, I can't see someone like telling me, like, let's say like it was like a family member in the same household or a neighbor that said like, you know, oh my God, I just like saw this happening and, and like, you know, I, I trusted their word. I wouldn't take that knowledge, chew on it and go, oh, well, I'm going to pray for them and I'll talk to her tomorrow. And like, no, I'm, I'm going to show up there and, and, and end that what's going on because that's just like, you know, wickedly evil. And, uh, my conscience would not allow me to sit there and, and do nothing. Now, should I go in and just, you know, walk up to her husband and, and, and shoot him in the face? That's probably not the, the correct response either. This is one of those situations, like I said, where there really is no perfect response. No matter what you do, there's going to be pros and cons to it. The end result, is is tough because evil and sin it taints things you, you, you know you can't you, you, in this fallen world we're really not going to of our own accord uh you know come to situations where evil has been done and and respond in any fashion that's going to bring a result where it's like oh act, you know 100 percent true justice and true peace had and healing have been uh brought like that only comes from god and and true justice from some of these atrocities um but while that's true that doesn't mean that we should do nothing while those are and i know that's not the pacifist position 
Um, I'm not trying to say that pacifists say sit back and do nothing. Um, but I do think there are some situations where uh, I don't see a way of, you know, stopping the evil that's going on without some measure of force. And I think the people that use the force should be trained to do it. Like, you know, you shouldn't show up with a head full of steam and just start popping caps off at people. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm not even saying you need a gun. Like, listen, like, you know, if you want to get trained in martial arts and, and, and kind of study and how to disarm people and, you know, kind of peacefully put them in positions of, of being like, uh, you know, disabled. I don't know if there's actual ways to do that. Like I, I haven't studied martial arts myself, but if you can find ways to resolve conflicts with force without shooting someone, all the better. Um, but, you know, again, like it, it's one thing to sit here, you know, sit here in my, my basement and hypothesize different situations that could be solved without force or without uh, some kind of weapon. But, you know, when the rubber hits the road, I've, I have seen situations in my life uh, just because of just unfortunately the circumstances that have happened around me where, you know, I'm, I'm just like in the moment, now listen, in like long-term, of course, my heart is that even as mad as I was at that family member's husband for doing what he did, I still eventually got to the place of like, you know, my heart for him is that he would, he would come to know Christ and that he would be healed, that he would, he would repent. And I'm, sh you know, like I went, talked about earlier, I'm sure probably some messed, messed up things happened in his life that led him to being the type of man he, he is. Um, but, you know, those conversations and that, like, I want to see this person healed has to kind of come after you stop the harm that's being done in the moment, yeah, in my opinion. And I think uh, what you said a few minutes ago about like your heart is towards pacifism, trying to find the peaceful solution where it, wherever it's possible and that as like society, that's what we should be geared to. I think that's all I would ask for um, is that just that, you know, we're thinking about it and you're not like um, if you have daughters like yeah, there's crazy stuff that might happen. Here's a gun. Good luck. But, you know, trying to come up with more options than just that. Um, and then, yeah, as a woman, I would say also, I, I would never condemn anyone for what they had done. I, I think in the heat of the moment um, and you're like panicking and that fight or flight sets in um, and have, not having been in that situation myself, I'm not going to come down on somebody but again, I would recognize the tragedy in the situation and want to come alongside them to recognize like you hurt somebody too. Um, and then just like in general, what would be better solutions to those kind of things. And then I, I would also say, I think for everybody, it's important to be strong and be in good shape. Like that's never a bad idea. Um, and then, uh, don't walk, don't walk alone after midnight in a dangerous part of the city. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, you know, and it's like with, with your relative situation. Um, like I don't know her and I don't want this to sound like, you know, victim blaming or anything like that, but, um, I'm sure there were a lot of things that happened that before it got to the, it's not like they had a happy marriage that was wonderful. And then all of a sudden, one day, he tied her up, and that started happening. Unfortunately, a lot of what happened was pastors, her coming to the pastor 
with the slow escalation and the pastor just saying that she had to stay with them. And I know that's not something either of you would would say to her, but unfortunately, you know, there have, I'm sure you're aware of that. There are pastors in certain churches oh, that yeah. have Definitely. abused some of that, that those, those teachings in the Bible of, you yeah, know, that God hates and divorce. And yeah. So, um, yeah. And yeah. And pastors, I think that's a huge, huge issue in the church in general. Yep. Yeah. So, so, ahead, so we've talked a lot about, you know, personal defense, um, degrees of you know what acceptable violence and i think we should take an opportunity to make as many people up said as a foreign policy um <laughs> can i say two know, things before we go go like, ahead speaking of making people as upset as we can well before i get to that i'll just say what you were saying about your kids like i have three boys so i'm like breaking up fights on a regular basis and i think um that that comes in with having your heart, your heart geared towards pacifism too. If if you're approaching it like, well, boys will be boys and they're gonna get in fist fights and oh well. Or if you're using that opportunity to be like, because all the time it happens that they're just wrestling and playing around and then it goes too far and somebody gets actually hurt and then he has to give him payback. Um, so I think having those conversations of like, no, before, you know, you're mad before you give payback, you need to take a breath and be like, am I escalating this situation or am I de-escalating this situation? Am I seeking to have a good relationship with my brother or am I seeking to get vengeance and, and like taking that breath to see where your heart is? I think in raising kids, it's important to drive home that message for a more peaceful world. But the thing that will, that I wanted to say that I think will probably ruffle some feathers is that I view, um, violent defense very much like in the way I view abortion in that I would say um, if somebody gets an abortion <clears throat> I'm going to while I recognize like the tragedy in that situation I'm not going to condemn them because I'm not in that situation and especially with um, kind of our culture of like well babies can ruin your life and you really you know abortions are health care um, and being that it's like a very scary situation to be in. And I think back to the thing about how the church treats women of like, if you are pregnant and not an ideal situation, like people are going to judge you pretty harshly. Um, and I think for a lot of young Christian teenage girls who find themselves pregnant, it's a lot easier to just pretend like it never happened than to have to confront your whole church's judgment on you. Um, so very, I, it's very similar to me where I think like rather than like condemning the person who's in that situation, even though it's tragic, we need to come up with solutions that stop those things from happening in the first place. My firstborn is a girl. She's three years older than her brother. And when he was about, I don't know, three, he comes in the room. She hit me. I said, did you deserve it? He said, yes. <laughs> so, you know. I knew, I knew how that was going. You know what I mean? I, I just knew. And he, and he didn't miss a beat. That, that, did you serve? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I am becoming more curious and I've done just a little bit of digging to try to find, um, to find an answer to this. But I started wondering about where they're pacifists during the American revolution, because I think we want to, we just want to assume 
that it was everybody in you know in the colonies going hell yeah brother let's get that king it actually wasn't like that at all (laughs) you know and and so you had those for the king and you had those against the king but there also had to be the people that were never talked about and those were the ones that stood back i made the comment the other day i think it was in a post and i said look in this current situation in 2020 if y'all start killing each other i'm out i'm not I'm not participating in whatever stupidity that y'all come up with. So if you start killing each other, have at it, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting involved. And, you know, with war, with statism, man, people start those allegiances and, and they start, um, I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm going to try it real quick. So we've had recently, just the last couple of days, we've had a group of individuals that come out and said one thing, right, about the current situation. They just hear some people that have said, we've used this product and we're good with it. And then you have another group of people that say, oh, no, 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 that's terrible. If you're on team B, you automatically cannot accept the other team because now you're saying well wait a minute but my team could be wrong you know your allegiance is so complete at the um at at that allegiance so you know you get the red white and blue running through your veins and uh, it's like it's like sports but worse because instead of throwing a football there's bombs being thrown absolutely (laughs) and i don't know if i don't know if you guys do but as as an anarchist i've come to this place where I can observe politics like I would observe an auto race or a football game. Like I can say, hmm, I see the strategy that that guy is using to try to get ahead of the other one. And the response is, oh, so you're that guy now. And I'm like, no, I, di- I didn't. I'm not, I didn't say I was rooting for him. I'm just saying that I can see the strategy that they are employing. Uh, well, yeah, I can't believe you're a supporter. I, again, I'm not a supporter. I'm just saying I see what's happening. And so with orange man, bad now, you know, if you look at something that he does and you say, Oh, okay. I think I see what he's doing there. Oh my God. You're a Trump supporter. Okay. So it's, it's so crazy. It's like, you can't, it's like, it's like, I'm not, I'm an anarchist. So obviously I'm not a fan of Trump, but if I don't spend every waking moment of my life besides breathing, saying how evil Trump is, I must be a Trump supporter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this, uh, this issue of foreign policy um, and pacifism, which I think is probably what most people relate that word pacifism to, um, you know, cause guys, unfortunately I'm not on your team anymore, you know? And once I began to see the gospel in a new light for God so loved the world. That's everybody in it. Every man, woman, and child of every race, of every faith, of every ethnicity, of every sexuality, of every gender. It's all of them. I don't know. I thought, what it, part... said Amer- I thought it said America. That's what my Bible says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what part of all you didn't understand. Um, so when I then, because of Jesus, well, now I've placed humanity on these people. They're not just insert slur here. They're, they're 
they're, they're people. They're, they're sons of God. They, are, they, they have a place in the kingdom. They may not realize it, but they do. They may not be of the understanding that they have a place in the kingdom, but they absolutely have a place in the kingdom. And boy, it makes me a lot harder. It makes it a lot harder for me to send the B-52s over there to wipe them out because now I see them as sons of sons of God and, and, and brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Um, so do you think that this is a different, do you have to take this pacifism and put it in a different category rather no. than the stuff that we talked about before? No, I, I think passive, I mean, or this is weird because before, before we get into that, it, it, now I will loosely call myself somewhat of a pacifist insofar as Abby and I basically agree, but this, this is going to be like where, where some anarchists say that if you support business owners, you're not a real anarchist, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I don't think that the idea that you should choose the least violent means of response possible to aggression um, and, and nonviolent as a preference. Um, I don't, I don't see how that doesn't scale up to uh, foreign policy while states exist. And, you know, ultimately if we, lived in Ancapistan or whatever you want to call it. Um, and you just, you know, let's say whatever, groups of people, cities having disputes, or if there was a, like a free society bordering a nation state, whatever, you, like whatever situation there is. I mean, you know, it's just, you just scale it up over groups of people. I think, I mean, it's, I don't think ethics and Christian principles change at, you know, I mean, if they do, let me know. Like, what's the amount of people where it changes? <laughs> like, is it is it twenty people? Is it five hundred? Is it three hundred million? Like, you know, let me know where that line is so I can uh, fact check that, please. I think there's maybe a Tolstoy quote that says exactly that. I'm not sure that it's Tolstoy, but like, how many people does it change from murder to totally an okay thing? Right. Um, yeah, I think war is has to be our biggest issue to speak out against of like oh my gosh the just the death and destruction and uh the fact that it's so praised in our culture for people to join the military um i think if if we can speak out to to keep kids out of the military that would be huge and i think not even just foreign wars but like if you look back at the civil war like that's one of those things that like in general, Americans are like, well, we had to have that war. It ended slavery and Abraham Lincoln is a hero. And it's like, well, we were the only country in the whole world who needed a war to end slavery. Exactly. So yeah. it's not like it's impossible to accomplish these things through nonviolent means. I forget where I heard it before where someone was like, brought that up and they were like, see in Europe, like basically what the government did was they just kind of like bought the slaves and they stopped like they, 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 they purchased the slaves from the slave owners and then set them free. Like they were just recompensating the slave owners for the property they lost. Um, and, uh, and then they stopped like, and before that they stopped catching slaves when they escaped. And someone said, well, that's kind of immoral, isn't it? To like, you know, buy, to buy slaves to get their freedom. And like, is it, is it, do we, do we need 600,000 people killed to, to free slaves? Right. Uh, only in America, I guess. Right. <laughs> or even if you just look at, like, slavery probably wouldn't have lasted as long as it did if it weren't for the government. That's true. Putting in practice yeah. all those laws to hold it up and, like, the slave trade in general. The right? Fugitive yeah. Slave Act. 
you know? Yeah. 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 They, if you try, you know, Twitch Tom Woods is like a gateway drug, you know, (laughs) when I start, I began to study real American history and looked at that period from about 1798 up to the 1850s, um, before Lincoln, it was all about preserving the union, not, they didn't give a damn about the slaves. They mm-hmm. wanted to preserve the union. Well, if you try to say, well, yeah, I mean, yes, slavery was a big deal and it was a part of it, but this was about preserving this central authority, yeah. nothing else. And it was such a convenient way of saying, and then, you know, it's not like I reject that the civil war brought an end to slavery it just created a new kind of slavery, mm-hmm. you know, that's, but of course we don't want to talk about that, you know? So, um, I am able, people will say, well, what about the constitution? And I'm like, what? Listen, it makes, it makes good toilet paper. <laughs> so there was some, there were some great ideas and some great principles there. Certainly. Um, it's, essentially not been worth the paper it was written on since about 1798 you know i mean there was about 10 years there that it really you know kind of maybe did what it said it was going to do but i don't know if y'all have looked around much in 2020 but that constitution is just about worthless um you know look at your governor you know yeah. it, it's it, all these states have constitutions um but so uh one of you said this earlier and I meant to interject it, but we hear now, well, speech is violence, you know, <laughs> that, right? That was, I mean, that was, yeah, that was my, uh, that was my straw man way to debunk pacifism. Speech is, <laughs> speech is violence. And I'm talking to a pacifist. I win. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're in such a strange, I still think exciting. I, I'm, I'm still incredibly optimistic going forward um yeah i see a lot of stupidity going around um i i see a lot of of angst and fear um but peep i'm sure there are people that would make the case that not wearing your mask well you can't be a pacifist if you're not wearing your mask you can't be a pacifist if you've opened your business during the pandemic you can't you know they want to take these extremes and it's the same sort of philosophy that leads to this foreign policy. They want to call it peace, but all it does is lead to war. You know, you, you have in your mind, of course, you've, you've assigned the state, of course, this duty um, to, to enforce these, these, these measures and these guidelines. And then when I say, yeah, but, that's violence too. So I'm just not going to participate. Well, how dare you, you know? So it, it all ends up circling back and circling back and circling back. Um, but when you look at, you know, the whole thing, I created a TikTok account this morning because Trump wants to ban it. And I figured I'd go ahead and just create one, uh, because all of my neocon friends are very happy that Trump wants to ban something that they don't understand, you know? (laughs) I don't know what TikTok is, but by God, he's going to get rid of it. (laughs) 
Um, Are we banning clocks? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I keep thinking about that lady in the, t- in the Hunger Games. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. <laughs> um, but people the state you know in in a lot of this this whole conversation from the beginning to now you take the state and someone who has a monopoly and violence out of this about 90 percent of the problem goes away you know right because i too as far as sorry i'm totally interrupting you but as far as like what we're doing in the world to make it more peaceful if we got rid of the state and everyone had economic freedom, like violence significantly is tied to poverty. And so if, if we had the state out of the way so people could run businesses and have economic freedom and have increased prosperity, that would do a ton to de- decrease violence. Yeah, well, and I believe 100% that my safety, the fact, as I said before, the the chances of my home being invaded are so infinitesimally small. Why is that? Good market, good economic yeah. conditions. There's not enough desperate people. There are some. Um, but dude, I still know people around here don't lock their doors at night. Mm-hmm. You know? And then there's others that get on the community Facebook group every time somebody drives by my house. Oh my God, there's a red Chevrolet pickup truck. I've never <laughs> seen it before. Somebody call the cops, you know? And it's they're because they're so on edge you know they're just watching news all the time but that economic condition came from the market not from the state in spite of the state absolutely and you know what's it's um i I forget which one of you said earlier that the state is what makes war possible or something along those lines and i mean it's it, it really is true um I forget the, I think it was World War One where I heard I, the statistic was in reference to where it was like, if, if, um, well, two things. One, uh, before I say that, it, it would be very hard to wage war without two things, taxation, the ability to print money, which are things only states can do. Because yeah. uh, if you have to gain money voluntarily to fund a war, that's hard. There's going to be a heavy burden of proof on you to show everyone that like, A, the war is just, and B, that you're using their money properly to, you know, again, because like people don't want to just, like, you know, people only have so much wealth and resources they give, so they're going to be like, okay, well, if this war is hypothetically just, you know, we want to end it as efficiently as possible, not just keep throwing money and, and boots on the ground, like that's going to fix it. So that would make war much harder to wage. And then B, uh, you know, to be honest, not much war is funded by tax dollars anymore. It's just money that's printed. And uh, that's part of the reasons why people got off the gold standard in the first place in America was because if we had to fight World War One on the gold re- reserves alone at that time, it would have ended in six months. We would have been out of money. <laughs> so it's like in order to continue the military industrial complex and to maintain the empire, you have to, you know, to, to wage the wars we're waging, you can't do that in a uh, a stateless society. You just can't because, you know, printed money, fiat money or currency in a stateless society has no value. You're not going to be able to employ uh, an army of that scale or produce weapons of that, of that scale. It's just impossible. And it creates artificial markets. You know, right, that too. You, you, can, you can always fall back in the ditch of evil. Oh, it's evil. It's evil. It's evil. Yeah, but that's, 
that's an oversimplification. Not to mention all the, en- all the enemies we have were our, you know, it's like, I don't know if you ever watched uh, uh, Dave Smith, but um, he said it best. I love quoting him. He's like, if you want to know uh, who America's enemies will be 10 years from now, look at who we're funding and siding with today. It's yeah. just like, it, it, it literally is just, uh, we set someone up to fight them 10 years later. We, we always make sure there's a boogeyman to fight so that, uh, you know, they can, you know, keep people thinking that, oh my God, if we didn't have the state, you know, we would just be getting, uh, you know, attacked all the time by these terrorists. You know, the, the only reason they hate us is because of our freedoms, right? <laughs> Right. Well, it, when you when you have such a significant part of the economy that is wrapped up in building bullets, tanks, planes, and bombs, well, you mm-hmm. can't store all that stuff. You've got to use it. And so you've got to have somebody to use it on. And so you just, you know, which I think it's brilliant that throughout American history, well, it was the Indians and you know, the French and um, then this this country and that country. And they finally figured out, wait a minute, if we wage war against a country, we'll eventually win. We need to wage war against a tactic. Now we'll never run out of stuff. You know, um, Osama bin Laden was our buddy. I mean, he was our friend. The Mujahideen were, uh, and you know, that was our, that was our friend to help push out the Russians. And then we turned around and stabbed them in the back and surprise, it pissed them off, you know, and then we, you know, somebody made the genius idea of start dropping American bases on the Islam, Islamic Holy Land. That was a great decision, you know, and it just, the escalation continued. And um, I, I, I had this crazy little sidebar here. I had this crazy experience where I met a couple of Muslim guys at a trucking company. We're having a conversation. One grew up in Israel, one grew up in Cairo. And, um, and I said, hey, guys, while I've got you here, I'm just curious about something because I'm, I, I'm sure you would rather me get my information on Islam from you rather than Fox News. Um, what about this caliphate and this Messiah y'all are waiting on? I, like, who is that? Dude goes, Jesus. Um, hang Who? And he goes, we're, we're, Jesus is the Messiah. We're waiting on Jesus to come back and lead Muhammad into the, you know. And I'm like, well, I never heard that on Fox News. Um, <laughs> Glenn Beck did not do a good job of articulating that particular point of, of Islamic theology to me. And so we're back to humanizing people, you know. And I'm like, wait a minute what would I do? Of course, this is Ron Paul's fault. What would I do if somebody occupied the United States? What would I do if somebody started dropping bombs in the next County? What would I do? I would probably be pretty pissed off about that, you know? And then I would probably look at, look at how, uh, look at how pissed off all the MAGA hat wearing Trump people are just at the idea of, the thought that there's a bunch of foreigners that are invading our country that are going to make them like, like, like they're, they're ready to, to bomb, shoot people down at the border just at the threat of, oh, yeah. of a foreign invasion, let alone like how they would act if people were actively like an actual outside state was occupying America, they would be, I mean, they, they well, would the, probably be more violent than, than 
uh, a lot of, because, you know, predominantly a lot of the Muslims and Arabs in the Middle East are peaceful. You know, they're kind of hoping, hey, can you stop bombing us? Like, that would be great. (laughs) There's a billion people, there's a billion Muslims on this planet. If they were all terrorists, we'd all be dead by now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And what did they do with all the people in the migrant caravan? Like, did they just... (laughs) They all just stop one day and like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna throw a stake in the ground here. Just disappeared. Just, they evaporated. Poof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, dude. It's so crazy because it doesn't matter if you're talking about politics, you're talking about faith, you're talking about any of these 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 issues. If I look at somebody and say, yeah, but I'm not scared. Well, you have to be. No. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't watch Fox News and CNN, so I don't get the same programming that you do. Um, and, uh, you know, the people with TikTok, well, I don't know what it is. I don't know why he's going to ban it, but I'm glad he's doing it. <laughs> Are you serious? But, but even even if, like, like, let's take it from a different different angle here. Let's say that the threat of China or the Middle East were, you know, on on any level, like, legitimate, we should be scared um employing the united states state to be a solution to these problems is a short-sighted uh endeavor because uh the the state actions of again like if these were legitimate enemies uh that we had to be afraid of uh using a socialist mechanism of the state to try to effectively solve problems i mean i think history shows them too great that the state can't make it worse (laughs) yeah well and it's isn't it i don't know ironic that a country like the united states that has the been the most prolific spy in the history of man are suddenly upset at the idea that China may be spying on them. I'm thinking, y'all, the NSA has been spying on us for two yeah. decades, you know, and the Patriots are completely silent. But well, the Chinese may be, they may, they, they may be uh, using TikTok, you know, and get rid of it. Oh my God. You know, and I'm like, y'all, it, but you try to show them Edward Snowden, you try to show them Manning, um, the people, that what what's the what's the funny line? Um, you know what happens when you get caught uh, um, uh, spying on the government? You go to jail. What happens when you the government could, you go to jail? Either way, you're I just screwed that yeah, up really yeah. bad. But you know it, what happens when you get caught? You go to jail. What happens when they get caught? You go to jail. You know it it's they they're in these executive orders um, to me are the legislative branch of the state has allowed that to go on for so long because it absolves them of all responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, they can yeah, say, oh, it wasn't us. It was him. And, and of course he's gone now. So <laughs> vote for us. We didn't have anything to do with it. It was that guy, you know, and then they, they, they continue that uh, that force and uh, uh, I said this morning to somebody: stop giving Republicans power Democrats shouldn't have, and stop giving Democrats power that Republicans shouldn't have. We wouldn't be in this mess right now. 
you know, yeah. the, the, I, I'm not against the idea of a constitutional Republic, not in like, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the idea of a constitutional Republic. The problem is when you give it power and you, the people don't, you just sit back and say, Oh, well, Hey, we, we created a constitution. Everything's good now. You know, so I'm just going to ignore everything they do. And so that's why anarchy was so attractive to me because I can say, okay, well, I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible for me and I'm responsible for my kids. I have authority over them because I'm responsible for them. And at some well, point, it's just, it's such a self-defeating argument. The idea that like we need it's like we, when you need a government and you define government as like we need people to have special power and rights over other people to keep peace because people are flawed, you know. So because people are evil, we need to give some people power over other people. It's like, it just seems a little backwards to me. Like, <laughs> it's like if people are already flawed and then you're going to take a certain group of people and elevate them to have more power over the rest of people. It's like, how are you going to make sure those people, like, do you think that only good people are going to run for office? Because, you know, human nature and psychology would probably say that the people most attracted to those positions are the people who have the most nefarious of intentions. Because good people, good-hearted people don't really have a desire to tell people what to do. They don't. Right. It's like you just want to live your life and be left alone. You don't, you don't want to get in people's business. And if you do, and then there's an apparatus that lets you have that power over people, you know, that's how you end up in the situation we're in now. So, like, the whole idea of, like, you know, is a constitutional republic or some kind of governing system okay? The, the real criticism the anarchist gives is that any system that gives a group of people special rights and powers is, is immoral. If you have some kind of like voluntary governance, like a church, a church body is a type of like a, a governing body. And there's nothing wrong with humans voluntarily organizing and, and operating within those, those small bodies. But like, you know, even though there might be leadership, my pastor doesn't have powers and rights that I don't have. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? <laughs> it's like we're all we're all equals in the sense of our rights and power, and there's just a hierarchy of like leadership and and authority that you consent to. It's completely different than the idea that there should be people with special special rights and powers over other people that you don't and have consent to. Right. Because the other thing is like if you want to have that voluntarily, it's like the uh, the term is an incorporated city or or community covenant communities where it's like, well, it's kind of a micro government. It's like, but you're free to leave and you can't coercively bring people into it. You know, I'm a little weary of that, but that's still a lot different than what we have today, which is just like, you know, Hey, we drew a line on the map here and this is the United States of America. And if you are born here, then, you know, you're, you're subject to this rule and you have no, uh, no consent or say otherwise. Well, one of the points of the minarchist, you know, is the, uh, some level of allowable government. Okay. The mayor of my hometown, I know where he lives, you know? So if, if he needs tarred and feathered, I, you know, I have access. I don't have access to the governor, but I know where that guy lives. You know, I'm outside the incorporated area. So, 
I'm in a position where, yeah, there's a county, um, what do you call it? Not council. Um, anyway, the county, little county government, county commission. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have certain powers and, but they've got to get the deputies to go out, you know, and you've got like 30 deputies for 70,000 people, you know, but in that city, um, you have a smaller concentration of people and you have the more, where the more densely populated they are, um, the more the idea that they have to be regulated even tighter. But in that case, at least you can go to the mayor's house and say, Hey buddy, you know, we're done with you. Um, if he oversteps his bounds and, but the president and, and these far away people that to me is, where either the founders didn't do a good enough job outlining that this this central authority was supposed to be very small and we're not supposed to be kings and rulers from far away because it's like they defeated defeated air finger quotes there they defeated a far away ruler and replaced him with a faraway ruler, you know, you, people can make the argument that, well, the founders just didn't, they could never have seen it. Maybe they could, maybe, maybe they didn't have the ability to see that. No, I think a lot of them did and, and did so with much more nefarious intentions than some people realize. Cause I'm starting to get there. Yeah, I, I really, am, <laughs> you know, look into George Washington, the, uh, the, the myth and uh, the mythos around George Washington when you actually study the facts of his life, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really illuminating. I think it goes back to anybody who wants power like that definitely shouldn't have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, good, good people don't really have a desire to tell other people what to do. It's just, yeah. that's been my experience at least, you know, it's like, uh, and Anytime you have this, you know, even if we want to say the founding fathers had good intentions, they were they were definitely short sighted, because if you have a centralized power, you're elevating people to have special rights and powers over others, and that's just you can't. Though again, that's that's the whole idea of what we have. It's like, well, we just need to elect better people and elect the right people, and you know, I don't know how many election cycles we have to go through to to see how that that doesn't work, and it's just all coming back down to this. You know, I said this uh, in, a, in a conversation I did with someone on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I was like, listen, it's like, you know, I'm just fundamentally opposed to the idea that I have to choose between the, 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 the lesser of two evils all the time. I was like, we've been doing this whole the lesser of two evils thing for, I mean, a couple centuries now, just in American history, a lot longer in world history. I don't see how choosing the lesser of two evils results in a decrease of evil. It's, it it never does. It, it just it, it 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 just keeps lobbying from from one set of potential rulers to the other ones, and there's really not a whole lot on difference on paper when you really spell it out. Well, y'all, we've gone about an hour and a half. Do y'all have any closing thoughts? Uh, anything left you want to drive home on? I mean, I've I've looked at some of the comments and. And it's like, well, this isn't really discussion on pacifism. And I'm like, well, well no, because it, it ended up not being too much because 
I couldn't find a whole lot where Abby and I disagreed. I mean, <laughs> I could I could have maybe pushed a little harder, but I couldn't find many openings except things that would be nitpicking. And I didn't really want to have an hour and a half discussion over nitpicking. I mean, well, isn't that isn't the, isn't essentially the foundation here that in in when you when you accept your identity in Christ as a son of God, you don't you don't need the violence as much. You know, you, you, you just don't, again, it's different first world versus third world. And, and I, there's people on this planet that got a whole lot bigger problems than I do. Um, because I live in a first world, a first world area with, uh, with a great economy. Um, but I don't, I no longer desire that retribution like someone was saying, we, you know, people are, I know people that are looking forward to it. Yeah. Come break in my house. I can't wait to kill somebody. Yeah. You know, it's just not, it's, it's just not Christ-like. I mean, you know, Jesus says like, you know, that you should not seek vengeance. And I mean, uh, there's a difference between defense, like someone's actively trying to hurt you and you are trying to just stop the, the violence that's happening towards you or someone around you versus someone wronged me and I'm going to now go seek you know, vengeance. If you want to talk about like seeking justice and so, like I said earlier, if you want to, you know, I, I do think as long as we're here on earth, there needs to be some kind of si like, like legal system of, uh, you know, resolving conflicts between people, mainly over property disputes. Like, I think yeah. that's, there's going to be some form of that, that always exists and it might have to at certain times employ certain amounts of force to handle with the really violent evildoers. Um, I do think that there would be a lot less of that if we had a privatized system versus the state system with all the things that perpetuate poverty and violence. It's, it's a vicious cycle because it's, there's the whole chicken and egg thing. Does poverty lead to violence or does violence lead to poverty? To me, it's both. It yeah. is a vicious circle of, yeah. of, of one leading to the other, feeding into the other. And the state perpetuates poverty and it perpetuates uh, uh, criminal activity. And, and so, you know, you gotta do away with the state to fix that problem. Um, I mean, my only, you know, I, I would, as Abby is presenting it, identify myself as a pacifist. If you define pacifism as uh, seeking peaceful solutions, uh, you know, all the time, whenever possible, seeking to prevent situations from escalating into violence, as much as it depends on you, um, you know, yeah, I'm a pacifist, you know, if there are some more extreme, yeah, <laughs> if there are some extreme pacifists that, that have uh, something against the other, like the little tiny things I mentioned, like some kind of legal system that handles the, you know, property disputes and the violent actions of, of, of people who are, you know, committing violence, um, you know, there might be more to discuss there, but to me, it just, it just seems like, they're the two different topics. There's personally how we act in the world. And then there's, you know, while we're on this world, there are societal mechanisms of organization and those are kind of different. And ultimately, you know, you know, even just being on anti-war alone, I think 90% of the population would identify me as a pacifist, you know, but yeah, I mean, this was never like, you know, if, if someone came here hoping to see me talk about how we need to, you know, go, shoot people in the Middle East or bomb people in the Middle East to protect our freedoms. And, you know, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's, that's, uh, well, one thing there is a lot of truth <laughs> though, in 
right? There's one thing that a bully understands, and that's a bloody nose. You know, just just sure. you know, there there's a there is a line between someone that continues to 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 push and harass and just one little good pop in the nose be like, oh, I've never felt one of those before. That sucks. Yeah. You want another one? You know, I, so, cause I see, I saw that growing up. I, my, one of my oldest friends uh, was overweight and kids would, you know, pick on him and make fun of him. And there's this one kid that's just relentless and relentless and relentless. And he tried to turn the other cheek thing, you know, and I watched one day that he just grabbed a hold of both of this kid's ears and introduced this kid's nose to his kneecap. And man, they, their relationship was eternally transformed. You know? I, had a, I had a similar story from personally. Um, when I was a junior in high school, was walking out of class one day and I felt something hit my leg hard, turned around and it was a, uh, a, a girl. Uh, you know, I was like, you know, I, I don't know how old she was, but she was in high school. So, you know, somewhere between 14 and 17. And I'd seen her around before and she was, I, I don't know her story. She had like, you know, some kind of disability where she often had a teacher aide with her. And I had seen her a lot in classes like that. Um, didn't really know her personally, but she was on the ground, had hit me. And I was like, what happened? And her and another person next to her said that, pointed to this guy and said, he pushed her down. And, you know, I won't say how I handled it was perfect or without maybe some sinful retributive uh, attitude, but, you know, I, uh, I went up to the guy and tried for about three seconds to talk to him and asked, like, what is your deal? Why did you do that? And then he kept walking, kind of ignored me and laughed. And so, yeah, I picked him up. I threw him against the locker and I, I, you know, bloodied his nose, like quite literally. And, um, I don't know. Could I have handled that differently? Yes. And looking back, maybe there were some ways that responses that maybe would have led to more productive outcomes. Um, you know, I do also kind of understand what you're talking about, which is like, you know, if, if someone does an evil action and someone responds to them like that, you know, that, that might definitely discourage them from, uh, doing similar things in the future. But at the same time, there's also probably room to say that that might just make them more bitter and more angry. And they, mm -hmm. that might, that might worsen the problem. I don't know. I never, you know, there's no way for me to follow up and see the long-term consequences of my actions there. But, you know, if, if, if I was an adult seeing that situation today now, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to say, well, get your gun out and threaten the guy, you know, I right. think you'd, you know, you need to deal with things proportionally and level-headed. And I, I think now what I would do is I would come up to him and I would just like ask, like, what happened to you, man? Like, why are you so broken? And what has happened in your life that has led you yeah. to think that this is acceptable behavior? That this, like, does this make you feel good about yourself? And, you know, and then, you know, say, listen, like, you know, I think this comes from a place of, of uh, low self-confidence, low self-esteem. And you probably have a low view of yourself. I just want to let you know that, you know, maybe you've done some bad things in your life and maybe you have a low view of yourself and you don't think that you have any self-worth, but that is not what, what God thinks of you. And that is not what Jesus thinks of you. And have you, you know, if you don't know the story of the gospel and you don't know 
the story of what Jesus did for you. I'd like to share it with you. You know, to me, that's a much better response. And I think this kind of, that kind of crystallizes what Abby and I are talking about, which is like, you know, there, there's a difference between situations of life and death or criminal activity that needs to be dealt with in some manner and how we deal with people who are being bullies in the world in ways that aren't life and death and that aren't egregious criminal activity. And our heart should be to, you know, to bring the kingdom and to bring Christ into everything as much as we, as much as, much as we can. And we're, we're going to fail at times and fall short, but that should be our heart and our goal. Yes, I love that. I love that you ended up there because I, I think that's so true. And with anybody who would do anything, it's, it's coming from a place of hurt. And if we can bring in the kingdom, that's a much better situation where like if you bloody the bully's nose, maybe that makes him too afraid to act out on whatever's going on inside of him internally. Um, but it's not healing his heart and it's not no, going to matter. Right. And it might be to where he's like, okay, I'm not going to do that in public, but once I get a girlfriend, I'm sure going to beat her up when nobody's watching, that kind of stuff. So I, I, I just think we have to keep that um, bigger picture in mind. And I think as Christians, I think you mentioned this, that we have to be looking at justice from a perspective of it being restorative rather than from retribution. Um, and then I think that's another thing where having the state, it, it puts a lot of confusion and muddiness in the water because um, in our culture the state is accepted it's accepted that their violence is good other violence is bad and I think when when you're kind of have that conflict of like well how do I identify when it's the good violence and authority versus the bad where I think we have to we have to look for like I like you said with the uh, private justice system of markets if it was more restoration you stole from somebody and you have to pay them back rather than you're being locked in a cage where terrible things happen to you for three years and that and your victim is paying taxes for you to stay there like <laughs> yeah. yeah i just think we err on the side of restoration rather than retribution yeah cause a lot, a, there's there's a lot of studies that show that criminals that are that go through counseling counseling and a response that's trying to rehabilitate them to introduce them into you know not that's just punishing them and you know again there's like there's two steps one while there is violence being initiated against someone i do believe we should act and sometimes it, depending on what's going on there are there's some level of force that might be necessary to stop the violence but after that you know and and again it, the force should be the minimal necessary i i am not someone who says that there aren't any situations where pulling a gun is unwarranted, but that is like the last of the last resorts, you know, and, and I agreed with what you said earlier that if someone sh shot and killed someone in, in protecting themselves or someone else, it's not something to celebrate, you know, holistically. Like we can say, you know, oh, I'm glad this person's okay and that you rescued them, but also like, God, what a tragedy that this person got to this place where they were committing evil you know, you know, you know, and, and listen, like, you know, I train in not just like having a firearm and I shoot someone, but like, I also train in trying to use the firearm as a means to de-escalate because, you know, it's like kind of a rattlesnake kind of like waving its tail, like, Hey, back up. And sometimes I can de-escalate a situation if you do it properly with the right training. And, and also like, if you shoot someone, uh, your heart shouldn't be, yeah, now they're dead. It should be like, you know, okay, I just, like I've, I've disabled the violent act. Now I want to save their life. I'm going to call 911. I'm going to treat their wound. You know, you might 
like zip tie their hands together or something so they can't fight after they've been shot. Like our, our goal should not be, let's just kill people. You know, to me, like, you know, to, we didn't talk about guns too much. And to me, just to, to highlight that near the end, um, you know, guns are a tool. I think they have their place. But uh, if putting your gun on your holster when you walk out the door is what makes you feel safe and secure, and you think that, you know, that is what gives you, I don't know, like if, if leaving if leaving your home without your gun makes you feel like you're unsafe, I think that's a problem. And that is something that I've struggled with and that I, I try to not, you know, live my life in a way where having a gun is my identity and, and whatnot. I do carry, but, um, you know, conceal carry, but I try to do so with, in, in, you know, a lot of training and intentionality and with my heart not being, I want to use this. Again, it's like having a fire extinguisher. I never want to use that thing. You know what I mean? But I have it there just in case because it might be, it might be needed at some point. Um, but yeah, there's to go back. No, I'm sorry. I'm rambling, but just to quickly sum up, there is, there is actions that are sometimes necessary to stop violence when it's happening. And it should be as least amount of the least amount of force as possible. And you're not always going to get it right because in the heat of the moment, you can make bad choices. Um, and in hindsight, you, Oh, I wish I could have done this. So we should try to prevent bad things from happening in the first place. But when they do happen, you know, like end the violence, but then if, if, you know, assuming and hopefully assuming the person's still alive, uh, we should not be wishing that they're killed and locked up forever. We should be hoping that there is healing and redemption. Because I mean, if, if we don't believe in healing and redemption and the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ to do that in people's lives, then, you know, I think that is somewhat, uh, you know, you're, you're, you are taking away from the glory and the power and the goodness of God. Like it is a form of doubt. I think it's a form of not having enough faith that, you know, when Jesus died on the cross that like, you know, did he die for people that were already good? No, he died for people that, that, that needed him. And you know, that, that there's no limit there. You know, there was no limit assigned where it was like, I died for everyone except this category of people. Um, and, and I think that is what, Christian pacifism should look like. And if that is what it was across the board, uh, you know, there's a few outliers out there people have talked to who have more extreme views than Abby and we might still butt heads. But if, 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 if what we've talked about here is Christian pacifism, then I'm, you know, I'm on board. I have no problem with it. I would just say, I think that's the big thing. There is no other. We're all children of God. We have to see each other in that light. Um, and then uh, what you said about I think you, you might think showing a gun it could de-escalate. I think it could potentially escalate. I think if that, it can go both ways. This is my definitely go both ways. I have it as my last resort. I think you're you're still more likely to go there. And also, I I don't per se have a problem with training with guns and like I don't have a problem with people owning guns and knowing how to operate them and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I just think if if that's what you're focusing on, you're you're training to shoot a gun uh, rather than training to how can I diffuse the situation in other ways. Like I said, I wouldn't. I'm not going to judge somebody when they're in a situation that I haven't been in. But I just think it's really important that before you're ever in that situation, building the community where that kind of thing is less likely to happen. Absolutely. How are ways that I can stop this situation 
without needing any kind of force, especially deadly force. Can I zip tie a person without shooting them first? Like maybe that would be a good idea. And then I think that goes back to like, be strong and be fast. Like God gave you your body as a gift, take care of it, use it to the most potential that it absolutely has. I mean, and especially like as a woman, yeah, you, you, are at a disadvantage strength-wise, but I think, you know, not that many people put that much attention into being really strong. I think especially women, I'm totally getting off on a tangent, but I think women a lot of times view exercise as a means to be as small as possible rather than to take care of your body and be as strong as you can. And I think if um, you're in a situation where you're strong enough to hold somebody back or push them off of you, I think that's better than it's it's preferable if it's possible but you know it's like well, listen like my wife's like five two and even if she's really strong if she's getting attacked by a guy who's like a foot taller than her you know she's outweighed she, she's outweighed and outsized in a way that you know even if she knew martial arts she, she might not be able to effectively defend herself and um, Agreed. I mean, it, it, yeah. Like the solution, and if you're strong, nobody can ever mess with you, or you know. But I'm just saying, it's if I'm just gonna say, like, yeah, I'm never gonna work out, but I have a gun, so I don't need to. You know what I mean? I, I agree, and like, and I, I think I said that at the beginning. Like, a gun should not be an excuse to be lazy. It's like you shouldn't have a gun and be like, that's all I need to do. Like, no, yeah. like, you, or even mentally lazy that I'm never gonna think yeah. of anything solutions because I have a gun to rely on. Where absolutely. Absolutely. Really loving your neighbor, if you're really loving your enemy, you're gonna like really try everything in your power to end situations that are in a healing way rather than Oh yeah. And you know, I'm even open and I've said this before. It's like I might have a gun. I might be in a situation where I think I should use it. But if I feel the Holy Spirit telling me not to do it, I'm not gonna do it. Like yeah. so but I would rather, you know, I, and again, I don't like carry it on me 100% of the time. Um, but like, I do generally have it on me because I would, I would rather have it, have the ability to use it and choose not to than like be in a situation where I, I didn't have it. And, you know, maybe there's, maybe, you know, we could dispute how many situations a gun is absolutely needed. And I think that they exist, but you know, that's kind of where that kind of debate gets into like so many, like, hypotheticals and what ifs right. and it's it, it's really hard to objectively say you you 100% could have done that like gotten out of that situation without a gun or vice versa and um you know I and I appreciate your heart where you're coming from a well I'm not really going to judge you if you did something but I, I will encourage you uh, us to be you know again prevention is better than cure and I 100% mm -hmm. agree with that mindset you know we want to be trying to prevent these things from happening you know because you have a gun doesn't mean it's a good idea to go like put yourself in dangerous situations whether you're yeah. a guy or a girl you shouldn't be either looking to pick a fight and you you know just because my wife has a gun doesn't mean that suddenly it's like okay like yeah go go, go clubbing with friends in a shady part of the city until late parts of the morning and you know and again like you know, i'm not victim blaming you don't deserve to be sexually assaulted Absolutely. if you are doing those things but it's just that you're increasing your chances of those things happening and we should be smart we should be vigilant we should not be careless and lazy and just be like well i have a gun now so everything's good and you know if there's people in the gun community or libertarian community who 
well, not if, I know that there are people like that and I do speak against it. Like, it's not an if, like I, I've seen people like that. So I know it exists. And I definitely distance myself from that. You know, to me, a gun is just like, it's a tiny part of, of this entire thing. And I would just say, I think if everyone's heart was exactly where you're at, I would be like completely 100% happy. So I, I think we're, we're close enough to the same page where as long as you're trying to seek after those kingdom solutions, I think I'm happy with that. Well, good. I'm one glad. thing that Go one ahead. thing that needs to be brought into a lot of this is the um, law enforcement. You know, de-escalation. They're not they're not being taught that. They're no, they're they're, they're being taught to go from zero to maximum force as as fast and as hard as they can. And I just saw a video and, earlier and, of a guy that you know somebody called the cops on a neighbor, and the guy opens his door and within three seconds. Within three seconds, he's dead, you know, and the, the, that is a bigger conversation to be had than the one really that you guys are talking about on the self-defense because you're much more likely to be killed by a cop than a terrorist. Absolutely. And, and it, it's just, you, you highlighted one of the problems, which, which is poor training. And the other problem is that they are basically legally shielded from consequences which is the opposite of what you want. Like if you're going to promote a culture of gun ownership and, and, and responsible gun ownership and self-defense, you know, even then it's like, you know, and these are conversations that responsible gun people in the gun community have, which is like, listen, like you can't be wild West cowboy, like, or like a good example is like that. Um, I'm terrible with name pronunciation, but a month or so ago it was like Armoud, Arbery that uh, Ahmed the, Arbery Ahmed Arbery and the uh, the botched citizens arrest is like I by no means uh, approve of and actually I would condemn the actions of those two gun owners and what they did like someone strolling through your house even if they took something does not justify you chasing him down with guns and blocking him off and you know it's like that that was just totally one hundred percent uncalled for. I think on legal grounds um, and ethics and especially Christian, Christian ethics. Like there's just no, there's no reason to act like that um, at all. And police, you know, are the ones that usually act like that though, because they're legally shielded from consequences and uh, they are poorly trained. Whereas, you know, I know a lot of gun owners who are much more trained than your average police officer in terms of not only like accuracy with a gun, but more like um, being careful on how you present it, knowing what situations it's warranted in, how to present it, and how to avoid shooting it in the first place. Um, because, you know, what people don't realize, and this is some good info to put out there for people who might be like gun owners, like you don't realize that like, you know, if you shoot someone in self-defense, it's not like immediately self-evident the police show up and go, oh, self-defense, you're off the hook and, and like the police leave. No, like that can really ruin your life for the next like year to two years because like, you know, although the, you, they presume you're innocent until proven guilty, they're still likely going to bring charges against you and going to hash it out in court. And that's going to cost you tons of money and time and heartache on top of also the, the uh, spiritual consequences that you're going to have to deal with if you actually killed someone. So it's like, I don't take any of this stuff lightly. I really don't. And 
I think people generally don't because if you're going to be held responsible for your actions and you initiate gun ownership from a perspective of training yourself and being mindful of all these things, you know, you're going to see a society where gun violence rapidly decreases compared to what the state does with the police and law enforcement. I think also with the training of police, not just like how to operate a weapon or whatever, but the mentally that they're fed, everyone's trying to kill you. Like, watch out, you have the most dangerous job in the world and everyone's trying to kill you at all times. Um, which I think is also a mindset that just civilians can have, which leads to a lot of issues where like, well, anybody who tries to break into my house is trying to rape my children and I need to shoot them immediately. That kind of mindset, which like Chris opened this up by saying like, it's there's so small of a chance that anyone would break into my house in the first place, let alone that they wouldn't just take stuff and leave, but would be actually trying to harm me. And, and if you're that worried about it, and listen, you might live in an area where that's maybe a pot, like, like I live in an area where I think that's a very low possibility, but not everyone lives in, in good areas. If yeah. you live in, a, in an area where you feel like you're at risk or you're like a, you know, like if you're a woman who lives alone and you're, afraid like listen i'm not going to tell you don't get a gun but don't act like the gun is the final solution you do you should yeah. be trying to like make your house as hard to break into as possible and uh you know the, those are all you know we should we should prefer nonviolence. and if if pacifism is just summed up as preferring and advocating for nonviolence as much as humanly possible and when you have to use force to use the smallest force possible like i don't see any reasonable argument against that except people that are filled with either bigotry or hate i'm guilty of judging people that open carry with obnoxiously large weapons you know, <laughs> you know i'll see some guy in the grocery store and he's got like a 45 magnum and a six shooter and a big holster and i'm like hey white herb you know, you're, you're, you're not going to save the day. Okay. So yeah. Just, just not to mention, down. it's like, you know, the other thing to bring up is like with ballistics and stuff, like you have to be careful, not only that you don't shoot the gun before, like as like a last resort, but like you could miss and hit somebody else. If you're in a crowded area, like you have to be really careful. Guns are a tool. They don't make you uh, Superman or Batman like you know it's not like the movies where you hit every time like you know it, it is it is a tool I don't mind people using it I use it I, I have it on me myself but like yeah like don't act like you're you know you, you you've suddenly uh, gained superpowers and and can solve any situation with the gun like that's that is the wrong mentality or I think just the black and white mindset of I'm the good guy and the other person's the bad guy. I mean, like, you, you really don't know the intentions of the other person's part. And I think the risk of reacting too quickly um, or just the sight of your gun escalating the situation. That's true. Like, 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 that is something that people warn about, like, in mass shooting situations. If you're a concealed carry owner, you got to be careful about pulling your gun out to try to go after the mass shooter because if police show up and you've got your gun out, they might just shoot you on sight. So you got to be really careful. Like, you know, and, uh, you know, there are situations where sure, like if you're right next to the guy who's starting to open fire on a bunch of people and you have a gun on you and, and listen, like this is, I, I'm not, I don't want to present this argument and be like, you know, haha, pacifism debunked because it's very rare 
that like mass shootings are at least in the West, I think rare. And it's even rare that there are people who are armed in the perfect position to stop them. But you know, when those situations happen, that is a situation where like, yeah, if you're in a situation where you have a gun and there's a mass shooter like in front of you, but he's not facing you and you can pull your gun out and stop him. I, I see very little reason that anyone would argue against you uh, doing that. But if you're like 50 yards away and there's a crowd of people and you see the mass shooter, that's, com that's a completely different story. And you need to proceed with caution and you know and also like i've heard other people say oh if i was in vegas during that shooting i would have started like pulling my guns out and going to the situation i'm like no that's a bad idea too because you're you're more than likely going to end up shot by police you know and so yeah that's we need to we know what happened in that situation or that, that's true too that's about to that's a different that's yeah. a conversation for another well, day there's a rabbit hole yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've gone two hours, I think, because we could, we could go on probably another two hours. Um, I think I would like to personally do another kind of roundtable on, uh, you know, anarchist solutions to a lot of these, these, kinds of, um, these kinds of issues. You know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different things that we can, we can talk about and provide, um, solutions for that don't involve violence you know and so um that would that would be good to have so well i had fun i appreciate you guys doing this with me um we we need to do it some more because i these these conversations go by so quick you know and it doesn't seem like we've been sitting here for two hours but uh uh I'm going to end it with that. Uh, we, we need to go back through the comments because there's been a lot of activity on there. So everybody appreciate yeah. you watching and we'll talk to you later. Okay. My wife, my daughter's getting ready to go to a, some kind of formal. My wife's blowing up my phone. Get your ass out of here. Yeah. My, uh, my, my wife's been like, how much longer? Cause the baby's <laughs> crying. So yep. I'm going to hop off. But yeah, thanks. Thanks Chris for uh, doing this. And, and thanks Abby for again being willing to, Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.